Hello ladies and gentlemen, I hope this podcast finds you all happy and healthy. My name is Jake Kerr and today we are getting through the 73rd episode of the Black Ink Podcast. Now, just recently, I've been on a little bit of a, uh, what would you call it, like a hike on Chillin' at 420, which is a rapper out of the suburbs of Sydney, I believe. His real name is Blake something. I'm not a fucking diehard fan, so I don't know his name. But if you've been following my story, you'd know that I won a skate deck off him, which is... Actually, I'll grab it. It's right here. So I won... I won this skate deck off him probably about three weeks ago now. So... I thought instead of just opening it at the post office like a fucking animal like you want to when you win something like this, instead I elected to uh, do an unboxing video. So as you can imagine, I'll just put this back, I've been kind of just fangirling on chilling it a little bit and consequently I've been doing my workouts to chilling it now. Just to fill you in on that little part of my life, I've been electing to do these workouts by myself for at least half an hour, if not an hour a day. And I try and do something different every day so that I don't get kind of bored through the repetition of it and just kind of lose faith. Now, I was doing exercise like three, four weeks ago. I was doing it like three days a week, but I realized there's too much recovery time and I just like don't, like I didn't embed it into my, ha- into my habit. So unfortunately, I got to a point where I was just like, Also, I was going way too hard. Like I went super hard for six sessions. And then when I went to do the seventh session, I was just like, I can't be bothered going so fucking flat out. So I reassessed the whole situation. I kind of looked at where where I was going wrong and where I was going right, put it all together and came up with a better plan, which is to do half the effort, but twice as much. So pretty much I'm working out every weekday and like, you know, Saturday and Sunday as it comes. And then Ideally, I'm only doing like, I'm doing workouts that are normal workouts. You know, I'm not doing these crazy, bizarre workouts that I used to do when I was like a fucking professional athlete. And I'm not doing like hill climb after hill climb after hill climb on my push bike. Instead, I'm just doing like a 20 minute, 30 minute prison workout on YouTube or a kettlebell workout or just like a bit of um, cardio or riding my push bike, just doing these things that I like doing. And if I want to go hard in the workout, then obviously every workout has a potential to go more than what the workout is. So... As a result of this, I've been listening to Chillin' It in the background of these. And it's funny because this morning I was watching Chillin' It on one of his music videos. And it was like from one, not, it was a song from not his last album, not the album before that, but the album before that. And I was watching him kind of like dance around on these, like, it was like, I forget what song it is. And I know it's on the album before the album before the album because I don't know the song. And like, I'm pretty familiar with his most recent two albums. So... I was watching it and I thought, how interesting is, I mean, his, his music video was obviously shot um, at like, you know, it was dark. Uh, so it was shot at nighttime. I would guess probably like 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock maybe because of how empty the streets were. And it was shot in a city center and it had like Chanel and Louis Vuitton and shit in the background. So I'm assuming that it was like Sydney city center, right? And when I watched him, there were people in the background who were like kind of like looking at him going like, oh, uh, you know, and I thought this is a really interesting situation because regardless of if you're a celebrity or not, I feel like we've all had the feeling of being in a public space and someone taking a photo or a video of you and you trying to be in the moment of what you're doing, but unfortunately being pulled back by the, the moment of the environment around you. So people watching you or whether it's someone's in your background or you can see someone physically looking at you, whatever it might be. And I think it's interesting that we, like, I know in these moments, I always kind of clam up and go back to like, oh, fuck, what am I meant to be doing? How do my arms work? Where am I looking? Am I smiling? How does my face look? And the thing about, like, seeing people pull this off when they are doing something in public, being recorded or getting their picture taken and they just fucking nail it, I always wonder, like, are they just built different? 
do they just like have a different fucking mentality? Like, do they not have, you know, like Travis Pastrana doesn't have the fucking fear chip in his brain. Like, I just wonder, do, they, do these people have like the the public consciousness chip in their brain where they just go like, I'm doing my own thing, I'm in my own world, fuck everything else, it doesn't matter. And watching Chillin' It, the answer is yes. He does not have that chip in his, in his head, you know, because he was just like, and this is the crazy thing is like, a music video looks good when it's all done and dusted and you piece together, you know, the obvious tracks uh, that you've, sorry, you piece together all the videos that you've taken from left, right and center, you put them together and obviously you have the actual music clip underneath. So you don't have the recordings of the audio from those videos. You actually have the audio from like a, a studio recorded uh, session, right? So when you're recording these fucking videos of him dancing around in the street, seemingly to, I'm guessing, like even if he had a decent sound system there, you still like have to bring your sound system to the street and you're still dancing around for someone recording. Everyone else is just like, this could be a music video. This could be... And also, like, I'm assuming that Chillin' It wasn't as popular three years ago as what he is right now. And the majority, probably 99.9% of the people walking past him don't know who he is. I mean, this is a reality of people who have audience and fan bases is that they're so... Especially in the modern in the modern day with, like, social media, they're spread out all over the world. So, like, even for me, like, my fan base, my audience, my customers are primarily in Bunbury. It's not like I walk down the main street and everyone's like, oh, there's a black ink guy. No one knows me. You know what I mean? Like the fucking 2,000 people that follow me online, they're sure they're in Bunbury, but there's a lot more than 2,000 people in Bunbury, right? So the, when you're doing these things, it's hard to be like, you know, like for me, I always ask myself, like, where are they at in their head? And I had an experience the other day, which kind of made me understand a little bit more where, the, where they're at in their head. And it's funny because doing my kettlebell workout this morning, I was watching this fucking, this music video of Chillin' It's, and I was thinking like, there's actually a similarity here between my experience and the, experiencing the, the experience that I'm witnessing here in front of me. So as you know, I got my clothes into the shop Sabotage last week, or yeah, so early last week. And one of the primary things that I really wanted to get was a great photo that really em embellished the fact that Sabotage and Black Ink were coming together. Black Ink was gonna be stocked in Sabotage, Sabotage was happy to have me on board, and vice versa, I'm stoked to have my stuff in Sabotage. So I wanted something that was both iconic of Sabotage and iconic of Black Ink in a picture to go like, hey, here's what's happening. Because I feel like just having the clothes on the shelves, like, dude, everyone fucking has done that. This is the thing, like, if you've got your brand into a shop, the first thing you do is have it hanging on a shelf because it's so symbolic of like, this has gone from an idea in my room to an actual shelf where people buy things. It's like the, the, the iconography of it happening is being on the shelf. And I thought it's too on the nose. Black ink isn't on the nose. Black ink is peripheral, right? So I thought, what better than to park my Harley out the front of Sabotage, right? So I made a little bit of a fuck up here because what I did was Sabotage was actually available in store on the Monday and I didn't post until the Tuesday that this was all happening. And as it turned out, Sabotage actually had all my stuff on the Sunday afternoon. But if you listen to episode 69, you'll understand that that whole week between finding out that I could have my stuff in Sabotage and producing all of the stuff and actually having it hanging on the shelves, that took me every fucking minute of that whole week. Because I found out on the Monday afternoon I think it was yeah it was Monday afternoon and I had my stuff in Sabotage's hands by Sunday afternoon and I didn't I really didn't have any spare time to be fucking around on anything other than producing the clothes and then once the stuff was delivered on Sunday afternoon 
I came promptly home, I put my feet up, I reclined all the way back, and I pushed out Z's like I was fucking paid to do it, okay? So then when it came to Monday, which was actually the first day black ink was available, I went down there and I thought, right, let's get these photos, I'm going to take my Harley, I'm going to get a couple of photos just with my phone, everything's all captured on this phone, by the way, except for the like way over the top pictures, they're obviously SLR standard, but everything's captured on my phone, so I've just gone down there, I was just going to have a bit of a chat with Megan, who was the owner, I um, wanted to get the photos, I wanted to just, you know, like, just establish, establish black ink in there and like ask any questions or just listen to any stuff that comes up in conversation and just fully like, you know, appreciate the moment of the first day of being in a shop. So I go down there and I'm having a chat with Megan. And now one thing that I have learned when it comes to doing a photo shoot for your brand, right? You want to do the photo shoot three times. Okay, so when I do go out with my mate who's got an SLR and we take photos and all the rest, we go to three locations and we try different things in every location. Because what you're going to find is one of those things in one of those locations works. Or more likely, like, sorry, more appropriately, the likelihood of one thing in one of those locations working is so much higher than one of your bullshit ideas in one location. So if you just stay in one spot and try like three or four different things, you're most likely just doing the same thing a little bit differently four times. When you go to three different locations, you're actually forced, like, right, we've got heaps more light here, or we've got heaps more, like, environmental things we can work with here, or we've got, say, we've got, like, the ocean to our advantage in this particular, um, you know, scenario that we're in for this photo shoot. So it forces you to, like, kind of work with what you've got as you're going and increases the likelihood of getting a photo that you can actually use tenfold because you are giving yourself different elements to work with. So one thing that I did with, with uh, Sabotage is I said to myself, like, right, I want to make sure that I, I'm not coming back here to get any more photos. If I come back here, it's to get a video, it's to make a reel. I'm getting the, the, the photo part of it sorted right now. So essentially what I do in my mind is I do three photo shoots, okay? Now, obviously, you're within a shop. There's not really much you can do different each time, but that is the challenge, okay? And this goes back to that thing that that is actually one of the problems that I have to solve. And see, this is the difference between a business and a fucking good business, okay? This is the difference between someone who is going to be successful and someone who is not. And by the way, this confidence comes up later on the podcast, so just stick with me, okay? In that situation, you can take all of your photos and say, well, I'm in a shop. I don't know how many different ways I can shoot this. You know, I've got a good fucking 20 here to choose from. Um, you know, I've done a good job. I've been here for 15, 20 minutes. I don't want to be a pain to the person who owns the shop. I don't want to be taking photos and moving shit around, rah, rah, rah. You can be that, or alternatively, you can finish all of what we've just said there and you can go, right, that is done. I've got all the obvious answers out of the way. All the obvious pictures have been taken. All the like, you know, I've got it hanging on the shelf. I've got it sitting on the rack. I've got it this, rah, rah. Now I'm going to come in with new eyes. You walk out of the shop, you walk back in and you go, right, what did I not see last time? Stop looking at it as if I'm Jake. Start looking at it as if I'm Harry. Start looking at it as if I'm Sophia. Start looking at it as if I'm Riz. Start looking at it as if I'm Anita, right? And when you do that, you then force yourself to go like, right, not only that, let's go into our camera. What other, what other settings have we got that we can play within our camera? Are we got, have we shot landscape and portrait? Have we shot, um, you know that bloody, I think it is actually called portrait mode as well. So I was talking about like landscape, like vertical and horizontal. Have we got both of those? Right. Have we shot standard and have we shot uh, portrait mode where it blurts out a bit of the background? Can we do anything with a wide angle photo? You start playing around with everything your phone can do, everything the environment can do, right? Can we move stuff around on different shelves? Can we incorporate the person who's behind the counter? Are they a good face of the, uh, of, of the shop? 
Can we go outside? Can we shoot in the window? Can we shoot out the window? What icons have we got that we can work with that are gonna be symbolic of being in Bunbury or symbolic of being in Sabotage? How can we capture the essence of the message that we're trying to translate to our customers, to our audience? So that, when I look at that, you get that first easy shoot out of the way and most of the time the second shoot is actually quite easy. It's only on the third one that you're really like pulling straws going like, how the fuck can I possibly explain this as black ink and sabotage without explaining it the way I've already explained it? Now keep in mind, we're probably not gonna use the photos from the first shoot. We're probably not gonna keep the photos from the third shoot. It's most likely gonna be that second shoot because that's when you're in your fucking element, right? So just to recap, the difference between a good and a great businessman is someone who sees the problem and answers it and someone who goes like, like, sorry, let me restart that. The difference between a, a, a businessman and a great businessman is someone who doesn't stop at the first problem. You know what I mean? Someone who doesn't see a speed hump as a reason to stop, but in fact, a speed hump to get over and figure out what the next problem is. And the next problem is not just going like, okay, I've done everything I can do. Once you've done everything you can do, that's usually a good point to ask yourself, well, what else can I do, right? Now we're getting way off the fucking track is a point that I'm making. So let's just scoot back to where I was. So I go in there on the Monday, I'm taking these photos and the mistake that I made is I took my Harley down there at 3.20 or 3.15 in the afternoon. Now, school was still in practice, right? Or school was still in session, whatever you call it. Like they hadn't knocked off for the end of the school year yet. So I had all of these kids walking down the hill from Bunbury High into the main street where I'm trying to take photos of my fucking Harley out the front of Sabotage. Now, just in case you haven't pieced it together, I only wanted, I wanted to use the Harley because I put the Harley so much in my online story and in, in the narrative that I display online, Harleys and motorbikes have so much to do with it. And obviously my Harley is representative of black ink in a certain way because I'm black ink and I ride that Harley and I have done for as long as I've had black ink. So... Oh no, I did have a couple sportsters as well, but who remembers them, you know? So anyway, I take my Harley, I put it out the front and like, I mean, right out the front. And then I go into the middle of the roundabout. I'm taking photos. I stand in the island in the middle of the road. I take some photos. And at the same time this was happening, I could see it in my peripherals, right? I could see these school kids looking at me. And every now and then you'd look across and you'd fucking, you know, give them a bit of a nod or whatever, or don't give them a nod either way. And, you know, it's funny. I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, those kids are watching me. And I didn't necessarily have the idea in my mind like, oh, they're watching me and this is bad. The thought that I had in my mind was more so those kids are watching me and if this had been six months ago or a year ago, that would be enough for me to go like, I've done all the photos, I've taken what I can, I've got some out the front, I've got some of the bike. If I don't get any of the bike, that's okay. You know, it was just an idea, pie in the sky, we tried to make it work, it didn't work, it's all good. But I found myself going like, you know, this isn't quite the photo that I pictured in my mind. I'm gonna go move the bike. So then you go and move the bike and then you see the kids watching you move the bike. And when I say kids, like they could be anywhere from like year eight to year 10, you know what I mean? So like they're at that age where they're quite confidently gonna yell at you like, what are you doing, you fuckhead? You know, like they won't think twice about doing shit like that. They're that young, they don't care, but they're old enough that they can say swear words. You know what I mean? So I'm moving the bike around, I'm trying different angles, I'm sitting on the ground, I'm in the middle of the road, I'm doing, you know, and like I'm an idiot taking photos of his fucking motorbike on the main street of town on the footpath where it shouldn't have, it shouldn't even be. To the untrained eye, it just looks like I'm taking pictures of my motorbike. It doesn't look like I'm trying to take pictures of my motorbike in front of sabotage. So I'm looking like a full-blown wanker at this point, but it's funny. 
because in my mind, the narrative that I was telling myself, and like, this is the thing, I like to think that I'm the only person who, who has these, like the little voice in your back of your head that's talking to the conscious version of you. I feel like I'm the only one who has that, but I know everyone has this voice. It's just like how aware you are of that voice itself. And I think I realized pretty quickly that that voice in the back of my head was saying to me like, how cool is it going to be when those kids realize in a couple of years time that they saw the black ink guy taking photos of his motorbike out the front of Sabotage when he first got into shops? That's really important because when we consider that with the little voice instead saying like, oh, these kids are watching me. Let's hurry this up and like pretend we got the exact photo that we wanted. Let's look like we know what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, take your time walking back across the road. But as soon as you're done, go back in the shop and, and kind of get back to refuge sort of thing. Instead of that, my voice was saying like, this is who I am. This is what I do. I came here with a plan to get a photo of my Harley at the front of this shop. And I'm in the middle of getting a photo of my Harley at the front of the shop. That's important. That's confidence. That's supreme belief in what you're doing so much so that the now doesn't matter because where we're going is where the focus is. And I thought about that as I watched Chillin' the Dancing in that music video. And I thought to myself, like, he doesn't fucking care what the people around him are doing. He's in what he's doing. And the interesting thing is, is the reason that he got one more fan two or three years after all of that happened in me is because I don't question that Chillin' it is anything but what Chillin' it is. He's in a place where he doesn't have to question that belief in what he's doing or what he's trying to achieve because he's so far down that path that nothing else is an option anymore. And it's crazy to think, like it's crazy for me to believe that with all the confidence and all the shit that I've got going on for me right now, it wasn't that long ago that I was the complete opposite of what I am and what chilling it is. And by the way, don't think that I'm like comparing myself to chilling in any sort of sense, because to be very fair, I mean, he's got the, he's got the fan base, he's got the money, he's got the discography of work to back him up compared to what I've got, you know, a dozen shirts and some, a little bit of fucking progress and about 14 spare dollars to my name. Obviously, I'm not comparing him, but I do believe that we're in some sort of similar path, some sort of similar like process line towards being just a standard human and a human that is absolutely over exceeding achieving and everything that, that they put their mind to that they want to achieve in. And I just think to myself, like, obviously, it's somewhere in the path of like, you know, having this idea of what you want to achieve and then slowly chipping it away at it and not slowly through choice, slowly by absolute fucking, you know, it slowly basically is a definition of hard work. It's appreciating that things take time and you can't look at this as if it's going to take a day or a week. You have to look at your business as if it's going to take 10 years. And when you can embody the fact that it takes 10 years, then you can put really meaningful, meaningful, slow implementations into your business that are going to be hugely beneficial as long as you stick to them and you like you apply that strategy at the start and you stick to that strategy so much even when you're questioning whether it's the right thing to do even if you feel you know halfway through you're like this is it doesn't feel right it feels like it's not in the right direction trusting the process and putting your betting on yourself and putting your money into that thing getting to a certain point where you go like okay that did work, you know? It's appreciating that slow process, putting in the grind and making sure it all happens. And somewhere within all of that, okay? Because that's all very physical. At the start, it's easy to go like, right, to turn this into a multi-million dollar business, this is how it looks on day 1,000. Here's how it looks on day 999. And you can physically work that the whole way back so you can set achievable goals so you can eventually end up being where you wanna be. But the problem is, is none of this is worth anything unless the mentals are up to scratch with it. So if your business fits physically and fiscally grows to level one, your mentals have to grow to level one as well. 
And part of that, part of like allowing yourself to rise to the level that your business is, and I feel that you actually have to rise about 120% of where your business is because you don't want to be playing catch up when your business overtakes you physically, right? So let me explain this in a different way. Right now, I'm about to buy a heat press, okay? And to be very honest with you, I'm buying a heat press with, a, with money that is invested in black ink from an outside source, okay? So at the moment, I'm trying to weigh up how to best spend this money. Bloody Louie, she's outside. She's fucking in a world of her own. So I'm trying to, how to figure out how to best spend this money where I'm making an investment for the future of black ink and myself, I'm making sure that I buy the right piece of equipment because obviously the, the piece of equipment that I'm buying is a heat press and there's actually like a whole bunch of different sizes, a whole bunch of different methods and obviously a whole bunch of different brands. So it's like, if I'm going to spend this money, which piece of equipment am I going to get? How is it best suited to the application that I that I have? And how is it best going to... Uh, oh, Louie, stop barking. How is it best going to help out Black Ink and my business? Give me one sec. My apologies, absolutely no production value in this podcast, you know. Anyway, so when I look at all of these elements when making this decision, the main thing to focus on is that I'm spending between the $1,000 and $5,000 mark, okay? So this heat press can be anywhere from $2,000 to about $4,000. So we're under the $5,000 mark. I have to mentally be able to make the decision to pull the trigger on let's say a three and a half thousand dollar purchase using invested money, be confident in my decision. And after I've made that decision, back it up by every day, proving that that decision was worth it through the practice of using the machine, you know, making sure the maintenance is kept up to date and all the rest. So with that, I'm at the level right now of making three and a half thousand dollar decisions in my mind, okay? Only two months ago, the biggest, or sorry, I should say three months ago now, the biggest amount of money that I'd ever spent on black ink was $2,000. And it was on the screen press, uh, on the screen printer. So, oh man, I'm all puffed from fucking getting up to get Louie. Give me one sec. Right, found Zen. So understanding that when I was making a $2,000 decision, that was the most amount of money I'd spent on the business. And therefore it was like, you can imagine, like if you've got absolutely no money at all, $2,000 comes into your business. It was my money, by the way. It was money that I got from selling the caravan. Electing how to spend that $2,000 is really significant because regardless of what it's buying, what it means for the business, when you've only been spending, say, up to like five, six, seven hundred dollars at a time, and they were extreme one-off big purchases every now and then, now moving to $2,000 where you're electing to have that first piece of equipment that you're going to own that's actually going to feed your business potentially more business, it was like... It was a real um, wake up call and understanding that like I had to up my ante that the numbers that I'm dealing with are now no longer just like a weekly paycheck. We're now moving into maybe like a month salary. Okay. And I know $2,000 is a bit less than a month salary, but just for the sake of the fucking analogy, just stick with me. Okay. So going from 2000 to three and a half thousand of not even my money now, I have to mentally be the guy who pulls the trigger on spending three and a half thousand dollars of someone else's money for my business because I have done the research, because I've 
I've sunk myself into that situation enough to know that like, right, this is the right piece of equipment. Here's what it does. Here's what it doesn't do. I could have got the piece, the, the equipment below it, but it does this, this, this instead. And I think that validates my business in this way. And therefore I'm confident in doing that. Okay. Now scratch all of that and pretend you just started up your business and then all of a sudden someone comes along and says, right, you have to spend $100,000 on this, okay? And then someone else comes along and says, hey, I've got $100,000 for your business. I think your business is great. I'd love to invest $100,000 in you. Here it is. Off you go. Now, how confidently can you spend $100,000, $100,000 on a business, okay? So we're not talking about a house where you get to move into it and you can see it and feel it and all the rest. We're talking about like, and like, sorry, I shouldn't just say see it and feel it because obviously you can get that out of a $100,000 purchase for your business. A house is obviously a good comparison because it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, but a house offers you protection, shelter, a place for you to live. You can rent out rooms. There's so much you can do with a house. When you're getting a piece of equipment for your business, that is wholly and solely for the purpose of generating money in one way or another. Now, if you are not adapt and confident and able and willing to make a $2,500 decision, how can you make a $100,000 decision to start with? So for me, I see this as really important growth. I, am, I, I learned how to make a $500 decision. I got good at that. Then I made a $2,000 decision. And that was a really good decision. And I confidently made it. And I'm now far enough down the track where I can say this screen printer has easily paid for itself at least once, if not twice, most likely about five times. Okay. Now moving forward, I've got a heat press right now that I can, I've got a heat press that was bought, lent to me and I can buy that for three, $400. Okay. The comparison to that is replacing it with a brand new version of the top of the line quality heat press, which is a Hotronics, which is worth two and a half thousand dollars delivered. Or I can elect to get the model above that, which is actually slightly smaller workspace, but has automatic functions and a digital readout for as far as uh, how much pressure you're putting on it, which is three and a half thousand dollars. Now I have to make that three and a half thousand dollar decision, as I said, using someone else's money. That is an integral part of my business's growth because it means that I'm making these decisions that carry more weight in them, which require me to bet larger on myself. Okay. And as I said, as soon as I make that decision, I have to pay that decision back by showing up every day. But the thing that comes with showing up every day, day in, day out, making $500 decisions, $1,000 decisions, $2,000 decisions, dude, the last big decision was a $2,000 decision. And that got me to a point in my business where I could appropriately stand at the front of sabotage, squatting down, taking photos in the middle of the road of my motorbike and not give a single fuck about it. Because I feel like I'm so embedded in my journey toward what I know Black Ink is going to be and what I know Jake Kerr is going to be in the future that I actually don't fucking care about those kids. Like for me, I feel like I'm enriching their day because like, this is a thing. Like if I had a son, if I had a scene chilling it, jumping around like a fucking madman three years ago in my home city, like at first you'd be like, get a load of this guy. And then it would click. It would fucking click one day when you're at someone's party and you, they've got a, the, the YouTube fucking playlist on and you see the video of him jumping around the, and the, you're in the background laughing at him. You just be like, oh fuck, I was actually part of something hell cool. Right? So for me, I'm like those kids might be looking over here thinking I'm a fucking dickhead and they might also look over one day, two years down the track and be like, that was the black ink guy. Dude, that was the fucking black ink guy. That's a guy with like all the podcasts that everyone talks about online. Like, dude, this is the thing. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Did you know, since December has started, my viewership on YouTube is decreasing. 
it's decreasing. It's getting less of every video. It goes down. Go back and look at all the views of all my videos in order and you'll see it decrease. It gets to December. I get to like 25, 30 views a video and then boom, boom, boom. My last video got fucking nine views. Nine views. Dude, what the fuck am I doing? Do you think, do you think, honestly, 45 minutes out of your day, three days a week is a legible amount of time to be wasting on something that is getting less and less viewership? Dude, fuck the views. Fuck the views. Okay. You know what it's about? It's about the process. It's about the work. It's about getting this exercise in. It's about flexing this muscle of doing the thing so much that it literally doesn't matter about what's happening on the fucking result end of it. It matters what's happening in the journey end of it. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. Like right now, Chillinit doesn't give two shits about anything except what Chillinit is doing. Dude, in a way, he's kind of like this digital mentor. Like I believe that I believe that he exists physically. It's hard to believe that he exists physically because I've only ever seen him on a screen. I've only ever appreciated him through a live feed or through Instagram or through YouTube, whatever it might be. So for me to like fully, and this is the thing, like, dude, it takes fucking courage. It takes courage to do what he's doing. It takes courage to get on live feed and smoke bong after bong after bong with random people and not give a single fuck about the outcome when you've got everything to lose. You know what I mean? Like you get on there and say some racist shit or something, dude, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's a bad example. If you get on there and say something that is not up to the standard of like what the fucking PG public idea thinks that you should be talking about, someone scream records it, it ends up as a fucking news report and then off to the races. You know, like for me, when I get on, especially when I release my stories of me talking to the camera, when I fucking release 45 minute videos of me talking to the camera about absolute nonsense, when I do these unboxing videos, I do a KFC review video, I'm about to go and review an overnight stay in these country cottages. You know, like it takes courage to do these things. And it's really fucking nice when you've got someone around your age who's sending it even harder than what you are on the internet. And it kind of like takes away the pressure of like, yeah, the people in my town might think I'm a bit different or fucking whatever they might think. But in the grand scheme of things, like I'm really not doing it to impress them. You know, I'm doing it because I'm on this path and this is, this is a part of that path. I've just got to keep doing this. Don't worry about the noise, worry about the path, worry, make sure the direction is always pure and keep doing that. Right. And what all of this actually wraps up to in my head, because this isn't actually the topic of of how this all came about to me. I fully fucking believe we're in a simulation. I fully believe this is a simulation and it's something that gets more and more apparent the more success that I have in life, right? And the correlation here might seem a little bit weird, but stick with me, okay? It seems to be that celebrities and people who have found success, people who are rich, people who have great followings, they all say the same things when they get to the top, right? And it's always along the lines of like, I've only got God to thank, you know, just have faith, just believe in yourself, put in the work, do all the rest, find something that's unique unique to you, focus on your niche and so on. And it's something that like you get to a certain point of someone who hasn't achieved anything and hasn't really had much success in their life that you go like, what the fuck are you talking about? Don't you understand that the position that you're in and the position that I'm in is completely uncomparable? They are fucking apples and oranges. There is nothing that is relatable to you from my point of view, right? And it's not until you understand that without trying to argue it that it becomes apparent what they're talking about, right? So a part of like, say, let's talk about my goals because obviously they're so like um, intimate to me that I can, I, I have feeling back behind them, which is also another big part of it. But so as part of my goals, I want to be a millionaire. Okay. I have no idea what it feels like to be a millionaire. 
I have no idea what it feels like to walk into the majority of shops that you're ever going to walk into your life, including car dealerships, and have the ability to buy anything you want. And it's quite a materialistic, it's quite a like surface level desire. But at the same time, it's something that I would much rather experience than not experience. And that's really important to not get caught up in this whole moral, ethical idea of like being a bad person because you have a lot of money. You're allowed to have a lot of money if you're good at something. The rule's that simple. And you're allowed to feel good when you start buying all those cool things with that money. That's a part of the thing as well. So something that I have to embody, something that I have to completely understand in this whole process is actually knowing what the feeling of being a millionaire is before I get there, okay? Now, anyone who is a millionaire right now and wasn't one to begin with, essentially had to do this in some sort of way. You had to have faith that it was possible that you could do it. You had to have faith in the fact that once you're on the journey, it's gonna happen. The same way that I think about those kids looking at me taking photos of my bike, the thing that I go to in my mind, that small voice that speaks to me, it just says like, Bro, we're doing the thing. Like, don't be embarrassed about this right now because you're balls deep in doing the thing right now. And if anything, you have to pretend in your mind that they're saying in their mind, like, fuck, I want to do that one day. I want to be at the point where I'm taking photos of my Harley out the front of some clothes shop because I just got my fucking clothes in there. And the reason I'm taking a picture of my Harley is because I actually involve something that I'm really passionate about in my business. And now I'm identifying through that and allowing it to create some sort of situation where I can create an income from doing the things that I like doing, right? You have to pretend that's what they're saying. And even if you're not fucking worried about what they're doing, you go like, you know, sorry, even if you pretend you don't, you know, you, sorry, not pretend, a fucking words, ah! you know, so pretend you don't care about what they're thinking at all. At the same time, you have to appreciate that like you are doing it right now. You're doing the thing that you need to be doing to get to that end goal. Right, And this all of a sudden, when you start thinking like this and having that faith, that supreme faith that what you're doing is worth doing and you're in the middle of it and doing it, that allows you to not have any room for the idea that you're potentially not going to achieve it. Right, And strangely enough, I don't really like going here, but I do like to touch on it every now and then. One thing that is really fucking helpful in this, extremely helpful, is prayer. It's the ability to repeat these prayers that are a very unique and individual to your own desire, repeating them when you wake up and when you go to sleep because it allows you to refresh your mind exactly what the fuck you're doing, right? So how am I going to have time to doubt what I'm doing and doubt the process and doubt that, you know, I don't have any money. I haven't had any money for so long. When is this going to end? Maybe it's just easy to go and get a job. I wake up every morning and I tell God that I'm going to be a millionaire. Well, you're not going to be a millionaire driving trucks, son. You're not going to be a millionaire if you go and fucking pack bags. You're not going to be a millionaire basically having any job that you need two jabs for. Bro, you're going to be a millionaire by doing what you're doing right now, but you got to keep doing it. You have to understand like there is no room for anything else. In fact, there isn't any room for doubt. The only room there is for doubt is the doubt that you reasonably need to help you make the decisions you need to make sure you keep progressing, right? And when I look at all of that, zoom out of that, zoom out of all the shit you've heard from celebrities, you've heard me preaching, you've heard people who have had success saying the same thing. It's as if there's this set of magical rules, right? Because to me, if you tell me like, hey man, just so you know, just so you know, if you write down, like let's take my example again. So if you write down three pages of all the shit that you want to achieve by the time you're 30 years old, okay? And every morning you wake up and you pronounce, pronounce, you tell the universe, this is the fuck I'm doing. 
Okay, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing today, tomorrow, the day after, the day after, the day after. On my rest days, I'm only resting so I can attack this when I'm back at work, right? If you keep doing that and put in the work, follow what you say, set your goals and achieve them, it will happen. Dude, that's a fucking cheat code. So you're telling me that praying first thing in the morning is the first, and also please, if you're, if you are, this is the thing, like you say religion, you say Catholic, you say Christian, you say prayer, you say God to a lot of people, and they put it into this category of what they think they know to be religion or whatever, you know, that whole area, that whole category of that, you know, woo woo fucking thinking. And if you're not involved in it, or maybe you got brought up in it and you've left it, or maybe you're deep in it, maybe even you don't have a complete understanding of what it is. I think there's a lot of what's going on in religion and Christianity that is just doled up rules of life that the Christian movement are using to their benefit to get more followers. But in fact, this is a set of rules that you can take away from that whole, I don't want to say cult, but you get it. There are rules you can take away from that, apply them without this religious idea on top of them, and you're going to get massively great results from it. And the way I see it is, imagine this, okay? Because this is how I purely see the world day in, day out. I see this so clearly that I can see the pixels of reality. I can see in the corner of my vision, I can see the pixels where they peel away from the edge of the screen because we are a player playing a simulation, okay? And within this simulation, there are particular rules that if you just follow them, you can have whatever you want. And that goes as deep as you can imagine down the positive path, and that goes as deep as you want down the negative path. But if you follow the rules, you get it all. You get it all. This is the fucking thing. You can believe your way into anything that you want, but you first must have belief and faith in the fact that that whole thing works. Once you believe that that thing works, that that method of having an idea and following it through and all you do is got to show up and show up and show up. If you believe it works, it works. And then you put it into practice and sure enough, you get results. Man, Elon Musk came out real recently and just said, dude, the likelihood of this not being a simulation is like 44,900 billion to one right? We're most likely in a simulation. And the bizarre part about that is, is that we're building the metaverse and this whole fucking web 3.0, which is built on top of blockchain technology. And we're developing this digital real estate where people are going to be able to go and have essentially this life, but in a digital space, we're creating a simulation within a simulation. It's fucking bullshit. And the crazy part about it is, it's not that far away in the future to imagine that people are going to live in a simulation inside a simulation, okay? They're essentially going to do what we're doing now with metaverse with the metaverse itself, right? This is like having a second life in second life. That's like having a fucking IMDb character in The Sims, you know? It doesn't make any sense. But at the same time, it makes heaps of sense when you consider like this simulation, if, it, if, if we are in a simulation, it's not that far off the fucking track to believe con considering we don't have that many options, right? We have this globe that is so big that if you believe your way into enough power, you can actually manipulate the majority of the planet, okay? So you go like, oh, okay, back me up with an example here because that sounds kind of outrageous. Well, Elon Musk can tweet his way into being a billionaire, okay? Katy Perry can put up, again, tweets that make people not like Kanye West, okay? You can have, like, Donald Trump tweeted his way into being a fucking president. That's literally how it is. So now you start to say, like, oh, yeah, I guess they're extreme examples. But you have to understand that even though they're extreme examples, they are examples. And the difference between you 
and them is no more than you're both human. You know, you both literally started with the same amount of potential and that person figured out a path, stuck to the path with their fucking ass up and head down for long enough that you got to see the result. And man, I've spoken about this too many times in my podcast before. The difference between you and I is I made a decision and stuck to it. And I'm not that far down the path. And people put me up on a pedestal like I'm doing something fucking crazy. Like honestly, I get praise every day about how my business is doing, how it's tracking, how it looks from the outside. And from the inside, I'm like, hey, dude, it's not like I'm even just getting started. I haven't even got started yet. That's how early on I am in the business. I haven't started making good enough money yet to call myself a functional business. But people see me as like, dude, how do you fucking, you just quit your job and you do a podcast and you print t-shirts, you got a screen printer and you taught yourself and you're doing this and now you're, you're teaming up with this business and this business and everyone's talking about you and all the rest. Yeah, dude. And do you know what happened if I had started this when I was 15 instead of 29? Well, by the time I'm 60, I'm Donald Trump. Okay, that's how it works. You can get yourself this playing field that we've got in the simulation of the globe is actually so small. But the I the, the fact is that our players, this, you know, meat suit that we get to fucking control and use in the simulation and like use it to negotiate our surroundings and try and do really good in the game. It only has a certain amount of perception that can understand the size of the globe that it seems like it's fucking massive. Seven billion people. You can't put them all in one room. How am I meant to imagine that? You're not meant to imagine it. That's the idea. It's meant to be incomprehensible. That way it keeps you localized in what you're doing. But that fact of what I'm talking about, the idea that humans can really only imagine so far outside of themselves, the reality is, is that this simulation has gone on for so long and it has had so many kind of elements and factors dipped into it along the way that we're at a point now where it fucking like people can no longer even really see outside themselves. They're just fucking zooming further and further into themselves, which are just pulling them further and further deeper into the simulation where they get to a point where they think that shit that isn't important is. And that's okay. Okay. Everyone's allowed to play the simulation however they want. That's kind of the fucking, you know, that's the digital way of saying like everybody has rights. It's like, the thing about this simulation theory is that the more you think about it, the easier it is to agree with. Well, from my point of view, because it aligns so perfectly with the idea that being a human, you know, it, it seems easier to believe that this is a simulation manufactured by something because there are so many questions that we don't know the answer to. Seemingly, the only reason to be a human is to procreate and get a little better with the next generation so that they can procreate and get a little bit better. But otherwise, it doesn't really make any sense that we're here and doing this. The idea that we have all of these senses, a massive prefrontal cortex and the ability to fucking progress to make these great ideas and turn them into actual physical things that, that move us along the scale of human progression is brilliant but what the fuck is it doing why have you put me like it, it really doesn't make sense to me that in my life I had this cute little dog who serves no other purpose but to make me feel love no other purpose right if we go back like two three human lifetimes ago put ourselves in in our ancestors shoes then that dog was a wolf that perhaps would have looked at trying to eat me while I slept or steal the carcasses of things that I had killed and no longer had any problems with. But now, generations down the track, I get this beautiful little thing that is a teddy bear with a fucking heartbeat that literally loves to cuddle me under the blanket, right? If you take her out of bed in the middle of the night and put her back in the bed, she will not be happy and settle down until she finds her way under the blanket and pushes herself up against me, okay? What the fuck is that? 
okay? You want to believe that's hell cute and all the rest? I cannot believe anything but the fact that is a simulation, that is something that someone generated, so much so to the point. And like, this is the thing, you go like, okay, it's a simulation. How much can we believe is set out that, you know, this is how this player is going to go. This is how their life is going to be. A lot of it's already predetermined. Um, you know, how much of it is that? And how much of it is this is just like a GTA fucking board and your player is just in it and you can do anything you want. You can go work out, get a haircut, look real sharp, or you can just go bash the fuck out of strippers until cops come in and kill you. You can do whatever you want, right? And I believe that this is just a free roam. This is just a free range. The player's in here, right? You're in the simulation. You've got all the rules of the simulation, but as far as things being thought out ahead of time and as far as like you having a predetermined path that you're going to take, Dude, I think this is just a case of like the whole point of the simulation. Sure, it's to procreate, it's to keep the shit going 100%. But at the same time, your journey as a human player is to figure out these rules, to figure out these boundaries and to test them. It's to find the cheat code and use it. It's to get yourself as far forward as you can. It's to see this entire world as your playground rather than just the bullshit little amount that you cover going to work and coming home and every now and then going to fucking Esperance on holiday or some bullshit like that. Your job is to go and figure the shit out. It's to see how far you can propel yourself into the system using these rules. Man, you start looking like that, start looking at the world like that and everything changes. All of a sudden, these emotional connections that you have to things that are fucking pointless mean nothing. They become evident. They become real. And then you start to look at these trees and the grass and the sun and the fresh air that surrounds you and realize that this might be a fucking just a code or, or a program or a bit of software. But holy fuck, look at it. Holy fuck, look at it. I like to I like to think about like every year I got myself a tomato bush. And this year I've been lucky enough to have the space and the resources to be able to get a tomato bush and a mint plant, and a capsicum plant and, and thyme mint and all these other things, you know. And I was talking about this with my dad the other day. I think it's really interesting. As humans, we have, you know, we get plants in our life and the plant grows. But the thing about a plant is it grows so slowly that it forces you to be a part of its journey. Okay, so if you're going to put a plant in a pot and you want it to be something, right, you have to be there every day. You have to water it. Sometimes you might have to move it because of where the sun's hitting it. You might have to treat it because bugs are doing something to it. You might have to move it out of its environment completely because it's being, you know, whatever it might be. But the fact is that if you want to see this through, if you want that plant to just simply not die, you've got to show up every day, right? And within that idea of like, this thing needs you every day, it requires you to learn in the process as well, right? So if you start to see like, man, snails are fucking attacking my thing, you know, you're going to get to a point where you're Googling like, how do I get rid of snails? Why do snails like my tomato bush? How can I avoid snails? It forces you to be there. It forces you to figure out the problem. Otherwise, you're just going to have a dead tomato bush. And then it completely takes away the point of ever having bought it, ever having starting the project. And I think to myself, is this a part of the program that's like, it's like almost a free fucking thing that you can do. It's like a side mission that doesn't achieve anything, but by doing it, you complete more of the game. You can go and have plants as a part of your life. And through the, the, the days, the months, the years of being there for these plants, you enrich your player through the knowledge. You enrich your player through the act of doing these things. And in return, 
You get to see the result of a beautiful tree. You get to eat the tomato. You get to cut up the capsicum. You get to smell the mint. I was thinking just before, every day I walk out, I do the same routine before I start reading my book. I have my book, my coffee. I put my coffee down. I put my book down. I walk just to my mint and I rub a couple leaves in both of my thumbs so that as I'm reading, because I I hold the book quite close to my face because I'm a fucking psycho. My vision is perfect. I just like it close to my face, but I always smell the mint. Dude, that's for free. I just rub the leaves and it's for free. And the thing is like, that's not impressive until you think about what's really going on. And the fact that if this is a simulation, that little experience is there and fucking willing and able 24 seven for you to rub it and smell it and experience it. But you only get that if you water it every day. You only get it if you show up. So yeah, go have a plant. Go fucking have it grow into something absolutely beautiful. Have something that's so impressive that you are impressed by it because you were a part of it. You can learn something from that and take away from it. That's just a little fucking sprinkle of excellence that the, that the simulation gives you. And that's one very fucking basic example of like parts of life that make sense if this is a simulation. The, the parts that continue to baffle me are these like progressive step, steps forward that I get when I follow these seemingly really basic rules. You know what I mean? Just like showing up, being disciplined, comparing yourself to only yourself and nothing else, not pulling anyone else down, understanding that purity of mind is purity of life. If you can control what's going on in here, you can control everything around you. It's bizarre. It's having faith that, you know, there's these freak accidents that happen to people and all the rest. Like, I have faith that I'm going to grow old. I have faith that I'm going to be an attractive old man who has everything he wants and gets everything he wants. And I'm just excited to be on the path that gets me there. I'm not the sort of person who goes like, oh, you know, what if one day I have a fucking pop-up stroke or if all of a sudden I have an aneurysm or, you know, maybe I fucking get hit by a car or I come off my Harley and all the rest. Fuck no. Fuck no. I send it every day on the belief that I'm going to be sending it when I'm 80 years old. And the only way I can send it when I'm there is if I send it while I'm here now. Dude, I bit off such a fucking massive topic that there's no possible way that I can finish this whole idea. I just like, it's something that it dwells in the back of my mind all the time. And after hearing that Elon said what he said the other day, I just wanted to have my fucking two cents worth. So look, that is only my two cents worth. I'm probably going to touch on this topic again. I hope you got something out of today. I just... I'm not, I haven't even showered. I got fucking morning breath and all the rest. I literally just like, I was pumped up after my workout. I was just watching that video and I was like, you know what? I want to fucking talk about this right now. So I did. I hope this hit. I hope you're having fun. If you're watching this right before Christmas, have a beautiful Merry Christmas. Don't forget to call your mum and your dad and tell them that you love them because they brought you into this world and you owe them everything because of that. Everything. Anyway, be good to everyone around you. Much love, much light. Say your prayers. Be good to everyone. Be good to your mom because I'm fucking out. Yo!